Sheila Hamilton. This is Beyond Well, and today we're talking with Carrie Cohen. Actually, I'm going to give you a little bit of background, Carrie, on how difficult it was for us to come up with this topic. But first, I want to introduce my co-host, Dr. Jana Lejeune and Dr. Brian Goff. Okay, Carrie, we had this long conversation about what to call this program. The, the name. Uh, the name today. Because we were like, okay, sex is so broad. It's way too broad. And promiscuity is so judgmental. Exactly. So Jenna suggested a really amazing title called Sex Not Judging. What was it? Sex. It was like Sex Shame Versus Curiosity or right? something like that. Oh, and like that. Brian suggested... Probably something sarcastic, like looking for love in all the wrong places or something. Like that. Yeah, because it's sort of it's sort of love addiction too, but it's not entirely love addiction. And also, I even though I'm writing a whole book about that, I hate that that uh, word. I mean, I hate the term. You hate. I assume addiction, not love, right? Right. Yeah. I, I hate the notion. I hate that we call it love addiction and sex and love addiction because it's like. That's why everyone goes to SLAA for it, which I find ridiculous and not helpful. And, right. You know, and so right. I hate, yes, I hate the addiction word. Okay. In there, even though there is, of course, an aspect of it, but. Yeah. So what I think we'll do, honestly, if you don't mind, is go with Carrie Cohen, Loose Girl. I love it. Right. Oh, that's good. Because, because then People it's your title. Right. Yeah. It's your title. We've understood what, what that means in yes. terms of, okay. So, so Carrie Cohen. Welcome. Thank you. Uh, I, I'm really thrilled to be here with three psychologists. It's like there's got to be a joke about what happens when you get three in the same room. <laughs> <laughs> I think we have to meet in a bar to do that, though. Right? Yeah. Isn't that how the joke goes? That's after yeah. the show, Brian. <laughs> That's yeah. right. Gotcha. But Carrie, I was fascinated that you began Loose Girl with a count of the number of partners. Mm. And I felt like oh, wow, wait, she's a therapist, and yet... I wasn't yet, by the way, when I'd written that. Okay. But also, the count was my editor wanted me to include a count. And so I did, and the count wound up being such a problem later. i Because it was, first of all, I don't even know if that was the right... At the time, I was like, I don't know, maybe something around this. And then, and then later, I got so much flack for that because um, people were like, oh, you know... For, you know, 47 men, that's how many I, I, you know, do in a month. Where's my book contract? Like people were responding like that. Uh -huh. and, and, you know, and I don't know, even know if that was the right number um, at the time. And certainly it's changed since then. But I, you know, I, um, I was not thrilled with having to do that. But I think because back then there was this thing that that people would ask each other, like in relationships or something. And now I think nobody would do that. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Jenna, you had a strong reaction to it, right? Well, well, first I was thinking, oh, it's just like the driver's license weight thing. It's yeah. like you want to, am I fudging enough, but not fudging too much? Right. <laughs> right. That's exactly right. <laughs> That's right. Um, but I was also thinking, oh, yeah, the number is so weird because you're going to get judged for it wasn't enough. It doesn't make you truly promiscuous. That's and right. then you're going to get judged for, whoa, wow, 47. That's too much. So any number you're going to get. Only by men, but only women oh. for the first one and men for the second. Oh, yeah. Just so you know. Interesting. Mm. Wow. Interesting. Not, not slut enough by women, too much of a slut by men. Unbelievable. It was like I couldn't win. <laughs> so I want to just say that Brian reached out to both Jenna and I and said, I want you to know that this is going to be like a little more 
difficult, right, for you as a man? Sure, I get to be the representative. Exactly. Oh, yeah. And so I want to just air your feelings about getting to represent all men and how they feel about sex today. A- absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I'm going to cover. Yeah. Thank, thank God. I was, I've been waiting my whole life. So yeah. now I'm going to tell you how all men feel about all of this. Wonderful. No, I had a, I had a reaction to the number as well because it, it, it I think it pulls people in the direction of, Oh, the measure is mm. how many people. So if it's only been five, well, then clearly you can't have any hangups about sex. Mm-hmm. But if it's been 45 or 55, then clearly that's problematic and pathological and mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. As though the form of the behavior is the real problem instead of yes. the function, like yes. the why, as opposed to the how many or where or what did I actually do or something like that. Like any of that matters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, if, so, so Carrie, yeah. I would really like you to talk about the function. Yes. It, sex for you at a very early age was functional. It oh, yeah. was serving a purpose. Yeah. What was it? Well, you know, I, I purposely left any notion of sexual arousal uh, uh, out, out of the book entirely because it's like that didn't matter. Whether that was there or not didn't matter, and it had nothing to do with whether I uh, chose to have sex or not, which was always, always, I did. <laughs> because because it was always, it was entirely about, um, it was entirely about attention, yes. I mean, that seems a sort of obvious, trite answer. Um, but there's also something about how, um, as having a female body, growing up with a female body in this culture, um, it is absolutely how we're made to feel like whether we matter or not. Um, and everything sort of gets funneled through our bodies. And, and, and it's not about, it's not about our own choices. That's why I left out the sexual arousal. It's not about like, oh, I, I'm choosing to, women have no, uh, girls rather, women eventually I suppose do or can, but, uh, girls don't, there's nothing in our culture that gives us any guidance um, or any suggestion that we have any sexual agency ourselves or that anything would spring from our own desires. And so all of my desires were based on on his desires, you know, on on getting him to like me, on hoping it would turn into, you know, I mean, I still make a joke all the time uh, now where I say we had sex and now, now I'm your girlfriend, right? Um, you know, <laughs> because that's what I was like back then, you know? I mean, I, I, that's what I wanted anyway. Yeah. And, I, and I, it, was my, it was my access, it was my avenue to um, hoping that I would uh, finally get this fantasy thing that um, we're told that we can get from men, which is basically to be like saved from our pain and rescued and all that kind of stuff that we're, you know, we're all told all the time. Yeah. So it went, um, it, it seemed to me that it coincided with a particularly difficult relationship split with your mother and father, yes. your father deciding to leave the family and then no, saying, my mother does, oh, well, oh, your right, father first, divorcing yeah. and yes. then your mother actually saying, I'm leaving to go become a doctor. Yeah. I'm just leaving the family. Yes. So you were in some ways emotionally abandoned. Very much so. And, you know, the thing is, is that it's I, I always want to be careful to say that this wasn't um, this wasn't about like like, oh, my parents divorced and that screwed me up because that's not true at all. I mean, I totally believe that divorce can happen in a perfectly in, in a way where nobody nobody's really harmed, you know, or kids don't have to get harmed by that um, because I, it's important to me to not uh, uh, crap on divorce because I think often that's important. You yeah. Know? Um, 
really the thing is, is that it was more like my my parents' personalities. My mother, my mother, yeah, my mother leaving was really bad, but also it was a really huge hole for me. But also she was uh, narcissistic. So I already didn't feel loved by her. And then for my father, you know, my father ultimately stayed and, and fought to keep us. Um, but he's an immensely unavailable person. So my joke is always like, uh, that I'm, very, you know, my type. When people say what's your type, I say unavailable potheads, because <laughs> you know it's category on Tinder. Yeah, uh-huh. exactly. So um, because that's my really my dad, and um, it, yeah. So I was abandoned. My point being, I was kind of abandoned from the start. Like I just didn't really have what I needed from the start. And so then them leaving in various ways or being unavailable in various ways um, just reinforced that. And you you began to see a particular power that you could have in your own sexuality. So exactly. I think for me, especially with the daughter, I'm always thinking about what is it that's going to be her power, her kind of superpower. Right. Yours was sex. Yours yes. was being able to attract men. Yes. I started, uh, I started using uh, attracting men when I was like 11. Oh, yeah. Basically so, new into puberty. You know? Okay. So sure. so listen to me once again, if we're going to try to avoid all judgment. Ooh, 11. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Help me here because we're talking about being curious about sex and not mm-hmm. being judgmental. But I think 11 is too damn young. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I guess, Sheila, is your ooh, 11? Is there an underlying ooh, 11? Carrie, you were 11 and you were using this? Ooh, mm-hmm. bad for you? Mm-hmm. Or is it... Ooh, we have a culture where young girls at the age of 11 are sort of shaped into using their body or using that power as a way to get their needs met. If you're going to ooh that, I'm all for that. If you're going to ooh the like 11-year-old Carrie who is like getting shaped by her history and the culture that we live in, I'm not going to ooh that one. Interesting, Brian. Mhm. Yeah, I'm in the same I'm in the same boat. I think that you know the other re- the, the immediate reaction that I had to you saying like ooh eleven my my immediate thought was well why like because just... they're ch- children well but and why is that a problem because children in our society should be protected and and from as what? A, at from from sexual deviance why because it's harmful for them there we go yes now we're now we're getting there okay because. <clears throat> It, I don't think we have to go to good, bad, right, wrong, should, mm-hmm. shouldn't, fair, yeah. unfair, right. any of that. I think we go with harmful, yeah. not harmful. Yeah. Right. So like, for instance, drinking gasoline is not bad. Is it toxic? Hell yeah. It's super toxic. But we don't have to say bad and wrong. We can say it's super harmful. Uh-huh. So that's the reason not to do it, as opposed to bringing in some kind of moralistic, because then, of course, the question is, well, who gets to who gets to pick the rules? Who gets to decide what's right or wrong or good or bad? And, you know, sometimes people will say, well, because I'm the parent, you know, or God says so or whatever. And I don't want to, like, crap on all of that. But I do want to say, if we come back to, is it functional? Is it workable? And it might be like, ooh, 11, because I don't have an imagination for how that's going to be workable for an 11-year-old. Yeah. You know. How do you feel about that 11-year-old girl right now? Well, um, 
Um, you know, she was very sad and desperate. And by the way, she didn't she didn't have sex at eleven. Yeah. <laughs> um, but she she was just started understanding that she sure. could use her body to attract men. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and um, uh, so I, I feel both. You know, one of the things that this one of the stories I often tell is that it took me like ten years to write to get that first scene right because for so long I wrote the first scene is I went I went up molested by an, uh, like a twenty year old or something, mm-hmm. and um. And uh, it took me forever to get that scene right because, of course, the narrative around that is that I was a victim. I was just a little girl who was a victim. Um, but the truth was, was I had gone out that night with my, and I was 12 then. I'd gone out my, that night with two of year old friends and into Manhattan by ourselves, lied to our parents. So, and it was to meet, meet up with boys. And, um, and, and then it was, it was trying to get home that I wound up molested but the truth is is I had gone out almost looking for this you know it's such a dangerous place to go because I don't you know it's like so but I I got it right thankfully in the scene um and then ultimately it it the rest of the book just poured out of me after that because I got it I got what it was about Mm. which was that in some there was a way in which I felt I felt powerful even you know right up until the molestation and even almost with the molestation like it was it was just a little bit of insight for me as mm. a 12 year old as to what I could create for myself even even as it was horrible even you know it's like you have to be able to hold more than one thing in your head of That's course right. to understand humans and and this was true like it was it was all those things I was a victim yes I it was horrible I was scared I also felt a little bit in control. I love how nuanced you are about this and that you can hold these paths that a lot of people don't talk about. I want to just remind myself of a conversation that I had with a 19-year-old man who had sex with a 14-year-old girl Mm -hmm. and told me, I'm very confused because she definitely was in charge Mm -hmm. and now I am I'm going to jail for this. Mm. And she was the person who asked for it, who wanted it, who, and at the time, my, my point of view, once again, I'm really trying to learn here. My point of view was she was a child. This is not something that should be happening. Well, sure. But we, as a culture have sort of agreed and whether this is right or wrong, you know, other people get to decide that, I guess, but we as a culture have agreed that humans under certain ages don't get to like they don't have the wherewithal to be able even if you are the one initiating looks like you're the one initiating looks like you're the one that's in power you don't have the ability to be able to be making those decisions and so it is on it's the responsibility of the adult in that situation the 19 year old the 20 year old to say no i I mean we and that's why we have laws around that sort of stuff. And so it's, in my opinion, it's completely, totally normal and even appropriate for a 12-year-old, a 14-year-old boy or girl to, or anywhere on the gender spectrum, um, to be sort of exploring their sexuality and enjoying a sense of power. I mean, my God, it's like the first time in our lives that we start feeling a sense of power. Like, that's awesome. And we want to be in a culture that doesn't um, take advantage of that or or make that such this, I guess, 
really harmful thing by by victimizing the you know normal development of a 12 year old or a 13 year old or 14 year old yeah there was a sort of wink wink moment brian in carrie's uh beautiful memoir where this adult man say how old you are and she lies and he you know kind of jokes with his friend right that this the culture around this is is very practice that an older man says, I'm going to give you the responsibility to lie to me, essentially, mm-hmm. right? What's wrong with that dynamic? Or is there, if we're avoiding right and wrong? <laughs> oh, geez. See, now I've got my own sort of stuff that comes up there, too. Good. Like, it Good. feels It feels so, uh, like, I'm not, we were talking about at a certain age, do you have the capacity to mm-hmm. to sort of navigate these decisions and make uh, healthful, uh, workable kind of decisions for yourself. And when somebody says, well, how old are you? And you're like, oh, I'm 18. And he's like, yeah, mm-hmm. okay, we'll go with that. It's it's like, good, you've got me off the hook, and I don't really give a damn whether you can make these decisions mm-hmm. for yourself, and you've now absolved me of responsibility of looking out for you too, so let's go. Uh-huh. And yeah. it feels awful to me. Yeah. Mm. Right. But, but Brian, I think that brings up the point we're talking about that we're talking about this as an individual perspective, like who's to blame, the 14-year-old or the 19-year-old? Yeah, that bothers me too. Sure. Like yeah. a 19-year-old yeah. boy is actually just a boy. Sure. Still. Right. Absolutely. Exactly. And what is point. it that yeah. in our culture, in our context, we are making it such that both this 19-year-old boy and this 14-year-old girl are like trying to like navigate yeah. this in ways that are really unhelpful in the long run. That's like, right. I really think if we're going to be looking at who's to blame, if this is a blame sort of thing, or maybe blame isn't the right word, but like, wherein lies the solution to this problem, we really have to look at this from this contextual cultural right. piece, as opposed to trying to blame either the boy or the girl or whatever the case may be. Because a 19-year-old boy, I mean, my He's goodness. He's a little boy too, really. Absolutely. This is true. So I have talked with, with Jenna a lot in the lead up to having you here today, Carrie, just because it feels to me like there needs to be a completely different education for a lot of people around sexuality and one that is devoid of shame, that yeah. that celebrates our bodies And I think what happens for most people is that they grow up either in religious cultures or in families that are quite conservative or places where there's not any discussion about sex. And so everything that they learn is whispered. Mm -hmm. I'd like you to describe what a healthy sexuality would be. Like how would you bring up a young woman and how would you bring up a young man to respect and celebrate their bodies? I don't think I would bring up a young woman or a young man differently necessarily. I I would think, so Carrie, one of the things you said in the very beginning that I was so struck by was you didn't even bring in the idea of your own arousal, not because it was or wasn't there, but it was was just sort of like a non-factor. It was irrelevant. It was irrelevant. And that to me is the part that is so problematic. Like we don't teach our young girls, and I also think we don't actually teach our young boys or anywhere on the gender spectrum, like, to be curious about what what are their desires and then what are their, like, eventual goals and kind of morals and ethics and values around this sort of stuff. 
we we don't have these kinds of conversations. Um, and I shared with you, Sheila and Brian, like I grew up in a very unusual context in that my father, uh, who is also a psychologist, uh, is a human sexuality researcher. Mm. And I can remember like being a little kid and like helping him with his research. Mm -hmm. And, you know, item number three, how many times have you masturbated in the last week? (laughs) Seven. B. (laughs) So there was never there was never the experience of you blushing over these questions or feeling like, oh, I my my dad is weird. None none of that. I love you, Dad. When she read the question, it was how many times? Times of you, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love you, Dad, and I'm not sure I can honestly say this isn't weird. Didn't enter my mind, yeah, right. But there wasn't a sense of shame about it. Yeah, you know, I felt like, huh, you know, this is probably unusual compared to like my other friends. But I, I really did appreciate that sense of being able to be curious about what is your own experience. Like, and we do this with all of our bodily sensations. Like a lot of people don't know the sensation of hunger. Right. And then that becomes super problematic and we use food in different ways and we don't know the sensation of what is pleasurable to my body and what does arousal feel like in my body. Yeah. So, you know, and then we're going back to like basic mindfulness. That's right. Sort of stuff. Yeah. I I love, Brian, uh, that Jenna talks about the idea of paying attention because we've been talking about that a lot. Like if you have the experience of going, how does this really feel when I'm drinking my third glass Mm -hmm. of wine or how, how am I really doing if I just bomb out on nacho cheese. Like if you pay attention to what really happens in your body, there becomes a different level of awareness. And I guess you're right. It can be sex. It can be exercise. It can be breathing. It can be everything, right? Absolutely. I mean, I think we snowball on behavior. That's right. We get going and then we're just sort of along for the ride. And uh, whether it's sex or it's about drinking or whatever, I think there's um, there's this experience that a lot of people have where they get going and there's this thing in the back of their head that says, I don't know if I want to keep, but you've got some momentum. <laughs> momentum such a great, powerful <laughs> thing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. The <laughs> things in motion tend to stay in motion. <laughs> and so, and then you're just sort of along for the ride and hoping that you wind up in a decent place. Yeah. It's fascinating to me, Carrie, what ended up happening in your life is because if all, if you don't mind, I'll just try to condense and I want you to read this memoir because I think it brings up so many of these great questions, um, Carrie Cohen, Loose Girl, is that you ended up going through this period, you're quite sexually active, and then you decide, I am done being this girl. I'm going to get a boyfriend. Right. Oh, you mean when I got to college? Yeah. Although and- I wanted a boyfriend the whole time. I felt like I couldn't get one. Because of that dichotomy, like, mm-hmm. you know, it's, well, I mean, for, for a few reasons, obviously the first one is the, you know, wife versus slut thing that's, right. that's unfortunately still out there yeah. to this day. But, but it was also more like I, I, I was uh, pushing them away with my, you know, with my sort of neediness. Right. But, but the moment that you had a full-time boyfriend, the sex dropped off. Yes. So I, I have to like, understand like, it. Like, like almost, yeah, like eight months in or something. Well, you know, I see this all the time with my clients. <laughs> so, and I have a theory about this for sure um, that uh, that I am I love to share, uh, which is that for for females, we kind of have three uh, sort of phases um, around sex, and uh, they're not necessarily 
um, in a certain order or, you know, or that anybody goes into all three. But um, but the first one is trauma with the idea that all people with female bodies will wind up with trauma around themselves, around sex, because of this thing that we talked about earlier, where there's no um, there's no sexual agency, there's no sense of even being able to be connected to a sexual self that isn't about uh, uh, men, really, and um, and male desire. And so as a result, it's it's almost it's pretty much through your childhood and adolescence with a female body, um, without at least some amount of of harassment, uh, sense of of lack of self around around your body, some sense of no ownership around your body, which is like a, vi- a violation no matter how it comes, even just through our culture, just what comes at us all the time. Um, and then, and then um, uh, the, another, the next phase is performance, which I think <clears throat> at some point most girls get into, which is like knowing what to do. Um, you know, it's sort of like the porn star behavior in bed um, as a way to attract men. Um, and so perform so performative behavior around sex, which mm. um, is like often um, for a while there, uh, people put that into a notion of like of like, oh, you know, I'm I'm, in, you know, taking back my sexuality. And it's like, no, you're just doing something still that men have created for you. Yeah. Um, and then the final phase would be intimacy where alt- where we get to what I hope we all can get to, which is some sense of of sexual behavior coming from a core sense of self around your own desires around real connection, even if it's just for a night, but like making your own choices around, around that, that aren't actually about the man only. Um, and, uh, and whatever that looks like, you know, it can look like all kinds of things. So, and my, and so my sense about the women where it drops off, where this, where they don't want to have sex anymore, or their, their libido just shuts down or, or a lot of times too, there's almost like anger when they get touched. Um, but only once in a trusting, safe situation, is that they're sort of stuck in the trauma. So in other words, they haven't, um, they might have gone into performative probably in, in the beginning to some extent, but once there's real safety and, and uh, trust with another person and actual sort of intimacy, mm. it's, it's like not only is there maybe nowhere in their own bodies can they find a sexual self, to even come from for that, but also all of the trauma stuff comes up, you know, and they, where they start, um, in that way that, that we do in our relationships where, you know, we start, we project it finally, you know, oh good. Now I can project all my stuff onto someone. Does that make sense? Yeah. I'm wondering what you guys think about that theory. If a behavior's function is to move me away from things that I don't want, Mm -hmm. like I feel insignificant, I feel invisible, um, I don't feel potent or strong or attractive or whatever. Um, and I use some behavior like sex to solve that problem, to move me away from feeling bad. It's hard for that behavior then, especially if that's really, really ingrained, it's hard for that behavior to to sort of transform into something that moves me towards something that mm. I want, like connection and mm-hmm. intimacy. Mm-hmm. It's sort of guilty by association. Mm-hmm. So I'm having sex and I'm like, oh yeah, this is like when I felt invisible or disconnected or whatever. And it's like, I've kind of ruined it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that happens with all kinds of behavior. Mm-hmm. And I would submit that I think that happens for all people on the gender continuum. Yeah, mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't, I was curious about the the um, m- 
is this only a problem for people with female bodies? I mean, I've never had a male body, so I don't know. Um, But I don't, like, if I think about my niece and my nephew, like, I don't know that my little nephew has been taught any more to sort of know his own body and his personal power in his body any more than my niece has. I just think the stories that we tell our young boys and our young girls are very, very different. And so the script for boys might be something like, well, I'm supposed to want to have sex all of the time with everybody that I possibly can, Mm. and that's the way that I show that I'm a man. And the script for young girls is often, well, this is the way that I have power because this is the one thing that men want from me, and so therefore I'm going to be able to use this in ways Mm -hmm. to get needs met. Mm -hmm. And if I take kind of a generous view of humanity, I'm guessing like most boys and most girls like wouldn't want that like probably they most want connection and intimacy but Definitely. we don't teach Amen. people how to Definitely. do that oh, interesting yeah. i completely Amen. agree i so completely agree and um um that it's that obviously our, our culture around sex is 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 harmful for all people on the gender spectrum um and there's all these yes messages no matter who you are um but the thing about uh the particular trauma i guess around the the sh- the shutdown, which I'm sure happens for men too, um, to some extent, but I'm talking about a very particular one that comes from a sense of violation. Absolutely, you know what I mean. Yeah. That, that yeah. I think that I think more so you, you find re- whether there was sexual assault or not, more so you find just mm-hmm. from the messages that that people with female bodies get. Absolutely, you know? because we do live in a culture where men do hold more yes. power than women do, and so that naturally sort of puts us in this place of were sort of perpetrated upon much more frequently than people with male bodies are. And I right. and I really I can't believe we've gone this far into our show without me saying like it's important for me to acknowledge we're talking about this in this like heteronormative yeah. kind of way. <laughs> exactly. And um I just want to acknowledge that and I don't think this is only about heterosexual relationships no. or some binary sense of yeah. of gender. It's yeah. just how we happen to be talking about it today. Yes, yes. I want to get Amen. to the change that the Me Too movement mm-hmm. has made because I have heard a lot of men, and I want you all to sort of weigh in on this topic, just throw their hands up and go, you know, I don't even know how to be a man anymore. I mm-hmm. don't know how to talk to women in my office. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's okay and what isn't okay and it felt to me like I was watching this wild <laughs> pendulum where people are freaking out on both sides. I want you to weigh in on that, if you would. I would argue that maybe they didn't know how to talk to women before, and exactly. now they're just kind of getting called out. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I think now the message is sort of like, yeah, how you're doing it, not so helpful. Exactly. Exactly. Not particularly thoughtful to the fact right. that the no. women are human also. All right. right. But but if we can take the most sympathetic view toward mm-hmm. men uh, in terms of if they've been cultured a certain way and they actually really don't know Let's just say they actually don't know. They didn't have that or that early kind of support mm-hmm. in understanding how to be respectful and equal with a woman. Well, I I will have to just admit that um, 
I'm in a room with the three of you, and I'm also got a mic in front of me, so God knows how many people are going to hear me say this. And I'm, and I'm the 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 delay and the dump button on my brain is just not long enough and not quick enough. The thought occurs to me, and I hope I can stand by this. <laughs> the thought occurs to me uh, when Jenna was saying, "Hey, we don't go ooh." to the girl mm-hmm. we go ooh to the culture mm-hmm. that puts her in a place to that was do a great this. line mm-hmm. that it's like could that same thinking scooch over Definitely. to the me too movement and mm-hmm. say yeah. we do want to say ooh to the guy but mm-hmm. when we go back 20 30 40 yeah, years fault, really. media it's like this is how we were told to behave exactly. interesting this yeah. is this agree. is what was modeled yeah, yeah. The solution right? is not mm-hmm. to shame the individual, yes. because which is what's they, happening, unfortunately. Uh, of course, and that's right. the thing that that really stinks right of now. Course. Around of that course, movement. the solution, and and that might be there. There needs to be consequences for actions, especially if you've harmed somebody Indeed. else. Absolutely, but the actual solution to this problem does not lie in the individual. It lies in changing this culture. And I would Mm -hmm. say, kind of going back to something you talked about in um, Lush, was this idea of being curious, right? Mm -hmm. Like, if, if you are a person of power, regardless of your gender, if you're a person of power and wondering, like, ooh, am I speaking to people in positions of lesser power in a way that feels degrading or humanizing to them, if you're wondering how to do that better, be curious. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. ask some questions of other people. Um, try and read the, the expression of the person that you're speaking to and try and, like, really be curious. I wonder what it would be like to be in her shoes and hear this. Like, mm. do a little perspective taking. That's a wonderful, wonderful suggestion. Mm-hmm. Because you were coming of age um, in the AIDS crisis, I was I reading know. your memoir with just like... <clears throat> She's about to say that she got AIDS, but you did admit to getting a couple of different sexually transmitted diseases. Yeah. When we come back to this this idea of what's harmful, the new era of disease is part of the reality of this. So how do you talk to your clients about this reality? Um, I really appreciate that it took you this long in this interview to get, get to that because something that really frustrated me um, when Loose Girl first came out and was getting publicity, was how much there was no language in our culture for the thing I was really trying to get to. And so everyone, like I went on Dr. Phil, and all he could talk about were STDs and and teenage pregnancy. Yeah, and I was just like, yeah, that's not what I'm talking about. You know, uh-huh. like, right. and I hated that. Yeah. I hate that those are the only. That's the only language we have for girls mm-hmm. having that's sex. Right. right. You it's know, dangerous. Whoa, yes. So dangerous. therefore, don't do it. Yeah, yeah. Right. but. The whole show was was about this notion of promiscuity, and there was one girl who was fourteen that I did feel like, like yeah, we probably have some mm-hmm. similar ways in which we in, engaged with with sex and boys, um, and and then the other girl was fifteen, and she was like in a long term relationship with a boyfriend. They loved each other, and they were having sex. <laughs> I mean, who no. cares, you know? And then their parents were on too. And when the girl with the 15-year-old girl, who, again, I felt like was having like pretty healthy you yeah. know, relationship right. to sex in her life, had um, said her name, um, uh, you know, in the show, when you watch the show. Right, it the says, little. Yeah, the tagline. Uh-huh. Of the, yeah. It said her name, comma, sexually active. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my I mean, God. It was 
was horrible. And you know, and then he, and then she's the one that he really went after around like pre- pregnancy, pregnancy, and she's like, oh, we use protection. Like, oh, I was just like, this isn't. <laughs> wow. This isn't effective, you know. But what a good point of you have two. Two people that look very similar, 14 and 15, mm-hmm. engaging in exactly the same behavior. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And one is potentially really problematic, and one is potentially like a great foundation for having a healthy that, sexual that's identity. That's what I wish he, how helpful would that have been yeah. had he approached well, it that you way? Well, you could ask Dr. Phil to have me take over the show, <laughs> and I will lose my psychology license just like he did. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, did yeah. he lose his psychology license? Yeah. For yeah. what? being Dr. Phil. (laughs) I find it so fascinating that now, for now, what I always try to come away with like, oh, what did I learn today? Anytime I count, anytime that I have that sort of judgment rising up in me, I'm going to get curious about yeah. the judgment. Where's yeah. that coming from? Where, mm-hmm. like, yeah. what's my conditioning? It's a Why? really, it's a really nerdy way to say it, but I think Jen and I both come from a school thought that says function over form. Yeah, yeah. function over yeah. form. Yeah. Always, it's, always, always. Because we yeah. get so caught up in the topography of a behavior, mm-hmm. like what That's does right. it look like, and how many times, mm-hmm. and where, and exactly. blah blah blah. And it's really about like what sorts of levers is that behavior pulling it's just a vehicle to advance something like i and know it's the something that yeah. matters your big wound wasn't all the sex it right. was like this like like where's my connection exactly. and who's looking out for me and exactly yeah, all yes that. exactly and i know this is kind of near and dear your heart sheila but like that goes for every single behavior including something like mm-hmm. suicide like from mm-hmm. kind of where brian and i our philosophical stance is there's no inherent in fact, there is no behavior outside of context. Therefore, you can't judge a behavior outside mm. of context. Yeah. If you think about something like suicide that I think everybody at this table would say, what a tragedy. There are contexts where that could be the most values-based right. towards move, as we call it. Like you're in the middle of the village and th- somebody throws a grenade and you throw your body on that grenade to like save all the kids that are standing around mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Like m- maybe that's an example, a very extreme example though, of how even something like suicide that we so pathologize so agree. could be a towards move. Now the vast majority of the time, suicide is the ultimate, I can't feel this anymore so I have to get away from it. Right. Mm-hmm. But that's why I think Brian and I are always going to be on this place of like, and what's that behavior in the service of? Is it moving you towards something? What's the function of the behavior? And then we can start talking about, do you want to make changes That's on so it? interesting that you say that because um, Sophie's dad, um, in, in, I thought was in pretty incredible moments of empathy and clarity, telling me that the future that he foresaw for himself was under the Burnside Bridge and Sophie, as a teenager, being so mm. ashamed of who her father mm. was, he really was thinking. Right. He was not. Th- he wasn't just thinking of his right. own psychic pain. Right. Of his yeah. own failures. Of his and own that's humiliation. So happens, right? He was thinking of this is how I'm going to be. It's going to get worse yeah. because every doctor has told me it's going to get worse, right. and my future is going to bring shame on my family. Yep. And so you know, it's it's fascinating that you talk about that because. I don't hold any anger, animosity. I have only Mm -hmm. forgiven him for that choice because I think what you just said is absolutely the case. I don't think that it's a selfish choice, as people say, which drives me crazy. crazy 
I just think that the complications of of that situation that he was in was unworkable for him. And and the exact same place we got to in this conversation applies to that. Like, and what kind of a cultural context are we creating where somebody who gets a diagnosis of bipolar or whatever it is is given the message and now your life is over and you're going to be totally useless. Oh, I mean, not just not just your life is over, but you should probably give up custody of your child. You should quit your job because it's causing you too much stress. Your life is defined by this illness. Mm. You need to just walk around being bipolar disorder. Of course. And I I was just like, you've got to be kidding me. Yeah. And I, that's couldn't, the, I couldn't believe it. That's the point of the show, at least as far as I understand it from and kind of like why I was excited to be a part of it is, oh, what if we could start having different conversations about that could change that context? Yeah. Right. So it stops being about, yeah, what's wrong with 14 year old girls that they're starting to sleep with people? Mm-hmm. And it's more about wow, what kind of context are we bringing up our boys and our girls so that this is becoming really problematic for them? Yeah. So I do want to get back to the question of harm. We don't freak out and we just get responsible human beings who do the right thing to protect their health. Mm -hmm. Well, and also also something, um, and people don't love that I do this, but I'm probably one of the few people who says uh, to those around me, who let's say are having a bunch of of sex with uh, different people and they're choosing as long as you know same thing staying curious as mm-hmm. opposed to making a judgment around it who for instance hate condoms and just will not use them and it's like you know and like your like your eyes just mm-hmm. opened like how could somebody but the thing is is that 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 is their choice mm-hmm. and I and I don't want them to feel judged or shamed around it and I feel like our culture does but the truth is is that's you know, and yes, I get it. It's kind of like, you know, you get a vaccine, not just for yourself, but to protect the community, you know? Yeah. Um, and there's, so there's something similar in there, but as long as there's um, honesty and, and well, not as long as, I mean, obviously it's a problematic choice, but I, I think keeping the shame out of it and staying curious around, well, why? And what, what, what is that choice about? And is, you know, and exploring it as opposed to just shutting it down around, well, that's, you got to put it, you got to put something on that thing or, you're, huh. you know. Because what's the consequence if we say, well, you're a bad person then. Exactly. Like, that's just wrong. So is, right. is the outcome is that of helpful? that, are they going to actually say, oh, okay, you're right. So yeah. now I'm going to use a condom. <clears throat> no, they're they're going to lie. They're going to do all sorts of other things. The behavior will hide. just go underground. Exactly. Yes. And now that of you've course. said I'm a bad person, right? Yes. not only right. does that descriptive, but it's prescriptive. Yes. And exactly. it's like, well, you know what bad people do. Right, mm-hmm. right. You and know? at the same time, like if I'm talking about the people either in my life or my clients, like thinking mostly about my clients here, like I really, really care about my clients. Yes. I care yes. about their well-being. Yes. And so if they're doing something that I know is putting them in harm's way, I'm going to be totally frank about this is where my heart is. I really care about you. And I know you're putting yourself in harm's way with this. And it gets to be your choice. So let's explore what that choice is. So I don't condone it. I'm very, very open with my folks about like, I am like a safer sex 
Like, I could hold the banner for that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you also made a great point, Jenna, about it, sh- the, the shaming behavior actually becomes yeah. the thing. Can I hop in on just, bef- yeah. just before the shame thing, the, the, the business about the conversation, Jenna, mm-hmm. that you're talking about having with clients and this, and this thing about, like, you got to think through this. Just, just asking the question and having the conversation, right. that... It isn't so much I've got to steer you to the direct to the to the place where you put a condom on, or if right. we were talking about right. drinking, so that you you know you go to a party and then you stay there, or you get an Uber or something like that. It's slowing it down and asking the question. To me, at least, seems like there's a much better chance that you're going to make a decision from a place of wisdom, absolutely, mm-hmm. as opposed to just this emotion mind thing. I mean, like you've got mm-hmm, the right. reasonable thing, mm-hmm. the really logical thing over here that mm-hmm. says. Hey, I don't need to do this. I don't really know that I'm going to want to later. Blah, blah, blah. And then you've got this emotion mind thing, right? That's just like, <laughs> hell yes, right now, mm-hmm. That's all right. of you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you That's know? Right. That's right. And this wiser place has got a foot in both of those worlds. Mm-hmm. That's like, I want to pay attention to how I feel and what's going on inside of me and be mindful of that. But I also want to, if I slow down, it's like, is there a way to do this that harm reduces? Mm-hmm. For me? Yeah. Okay, yeah, back yeah. to shame. Okay, so shame. <laughs> yeah. shame. Well, well, this is, you know, I love, I just to, to say something quickly. Yeah. We're I love, never going to get to shame. No, we'll get to shame. Oh, this we'll is related. To shame. It's, related, it's related to shame, actually. Ryan, I am in the room. We will get to shame. <laughs> Sweet. I just want to say, I love, I love, um, I guess if I could, if I could formulate a, a, a sense of, of what my uh, quote unquote goal, I hate the word goal, is with all of my clients is, is developing that higher wisdom yeah. self mm. pretty much solely, you know, and because there's so much of this and this, so this is moving into shame. There's so much of this, of this uh, thing that lead, that is a part of shame, which is about people, uh, people feeling both that they, they can't be trusted, um, but have been made to feel like, yeah, like they don't like, like they're not trustworthy and then they don't trust themselves and nobody's trusting them, you know? And I feel like, like, all of us need to be trusted. I mean, I feel that way with my, you know, my now 13-year-old boy. I'm mm. just like, my biggest goal for him is to feel like I trust him. Yeah. And that's my job, actually, not his. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So, um, so this, and I think that's so connected to the shame. Mm-hmm. But but please, yeah. you're yeah. apparently you're the shame wizard. So <laughs> well. I, I don't know if I'm the shame user. I did grow up Catholic. Does oh, that help? Yes, yes, yes. Thank that's you. a huge part of it. Yes. <laughs> it's in my blood. Yeah. Well, I guess if we're going to talk about shame, I first have to out myself and say I'm probably one of in a minority. Well, I don't know if I'm in a minority, but among psychologists, um, I don't feel that shame is inherently problematic. Um, so there are some folks who, and Brian's raising his hand. Brian's in my camp. You think it is? I Brian? already am no, in no, your you're camp. In the, oh, awesome. you are. Yeah. Awesome. Oh, wow. I completely agree. Yeah. I love that. Mm-hmm. So we so we do this thing that we like shame shame and like yes. you shouldn't be feeling shame and. Like, I stand from the place that all our emotions serve functions, right? And so shame can serve this really helpful function of letting us know when we have broken important kind of moral rule, our own sort of moral code and what's important to us. Shame is useful if it also, if there's a way for us to repair that kind of harm that we've done. Then if there's a path back and shame can actually be really useful. And I actually think that's part of the problem with the Me Too movement is we're getting really yeah. great at being able to say, ouch, like, no, you can't talk to me that way or I don't like that. 
we haven't yet gotten to the place of, and here's how you get back. That's exactly right. That's right. Yes. Yeah, I completely agree. So, so first, I did want to say I don't think shame is always bad, but I think mo- much of the time, what shame does is it tends to just make us hide. That's the action tendency with shame. It like turns us inward, and we want to hide. Mm-hmm. And that shuts down learning and curiosity. Uh Mm -hmm. And so that's the problem that I have with shame, whether it has to do with shame about your body or sex or your behavior. Like we learn and then can change and do things that are more useful when we're curious. Mm -hmm. And shame most of the time doesn't allow for that. Because, Carrie, you have um, you've referred to what you were going through. And perhaps I don't even know if you if you believe it now as a sex addiction is it the kind of addiction that you believe you'll always fight that impulse to, you know, if you're not thinking in, in a mindful way about what's going on, that, that if you're overwhelmed or if you're lonely or if you're something, sex is going to be the thing that your brain reverts to? Well, interestingly, I think um, uh, it's sex and love addiction. And I think over time, the thing that's been harder to, or that takes me, uh, that I possibly will always struggle with is more of the love part. Mm. Um, because really that's the core of it and always was. Yeah. Um, and, and is more of, again, the, the struggle with the word addiction. Cause it's just, I, I, I wasn't loved in ways that I needed. And so my, you know, my brain got formed around that, around intimacy. And so that's, that's the part that I'll always struggle with. And sex was just a tool inside of that. So, mm-hmm. so, um, so no, I don't think I'll, I already don't struggle around the sex part of it and don't do the things that I used to do when, when I'm sad or, or lonely or anything like that. Um, um, but the, the wound the wound remains remains the same, and the wound was at its core more about the love part. So, mm. do you it, notice how compassionate that is? Yeah, like that is such a much more compassionate stance, right? Than, wow, so like, wow, you were such a slut, and yeah. what was wrong with you? Why totally. were you so broken that you made those really mm. bad choices? Were yeah. you an addict? Like, yeah. I just I love thinking that. about that in terms of, yeah, I didn't get some of those basic needs met. And so it sort of makes sense that for, you know, probably most of the rest of my life, that's going to be really important to me. I'm going to be really make, focused on making sure I try and get that intimacy need met, Yeah, which yeah. is a very, very yeah. human need. It's why we have like attachment Absolutely. theory, yeah. right? right. Mm-hmm. And, when we, and when we talk this way and we're talking about what were the unfulfilled or right. unmet needs and the compassionate tone of this, just note how far we are away from some number. Yes, exactly. Oh, yeah. Where we right. started. Right. Wow. Exactly. Like, what yeah. the hell does that have to do with it? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right. Yep. Well, I will tell you that it sold a lot of books. <laughs> I mean, it did. really, the title, the number. Yeah. But the, it pulls the, people in and then it's a bait yeah. and switch. That's right. But Which is what I wanted. In the best way. <laughs> yeah. In the best that's what way. I wanted. Is yeah. It pulls people in and it's like that's why I went slut, on Dr. promiscuity, Phil. Yes. number, and yes. then it's like, hey, this is really, this was currency right. for something that we're not talking about. Yes. You know, and I actually sort of am thinking that sex is also a currency for men. No question. For things that of they course. want that has nothing to do with sex. Mm-hmm. And I'm still waiting for that memoir. Be- from, you know, oh, yeah. I've had a number of men mm-hmm. that I have known um, talk about wanting to, but they, they haven't done it. They won't do it. And uh, one of them had a great title too called Pervert, which is like the perfect title. Yeah, that um, is good. That basically shows the male side of it. Because yeah. I feel like the um, in ge- all we have thus far from men are sex addict memoirs, which yeah. is not what we're talking about. No. Right. Mm-hmm. In the same way that Loose Girl is actually not about 
sex and love addiction. Mm-hmm. It's just about being female, and I—that's what I would love for and culture. And culture tells men how they're supposed to be that's sexually. That's what I mean. Absolutely, I mean, porn is causing problems for everyone. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. so I want to ask about that because if if there's somebody listening, and the reason that they tuned in was because they thought, oh, I'm I've been having a problem. I consider myself a sex addict. At least my partner is telling me I'm a sex addict, or somebody else is saying I'm a sex addict. How does one know if they actually do? have a problem what Mm -hmm. what's the sort of outline for understanding that Mm -hmm. well my definition of do you have a problem with anything is is this behavior that you're engaging in getting in the way of you being the kind of person that you want to be in this world so kind of I root everything in this idea of values values are like who you want to be in the world and then anything that is helping you be more of that person like awesome And if it isn't helping you be more of that person, then it might be something that you want to shift. And so that's how I would talk with people, whether they're having sex with their one monogamous partner or they're having they're in a polyamorous relationship or they're in no relationships. It, It doesn't matter to me. It's like is the way that you're using your body and your sexuality and your intimacy helping you express and be more of the kind of person you want to be in this world? Another way to look at that, I'm sorry, I, I know no, you no. Uh, Another way uh, to think of that too is, is um, are, are you engaged with sex and love in your life in a way that is, is actually preventing connection? Oh, yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. That's really Absolutely. wonderful to think about not that. Only yeah. Not, yeah. not only not advancing yes. the values that you most care about and the way yes. you want to be, but actually interfering with it. Yes. yes. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, we try every week to leave people with just a little bit of wisdom and got, I hear it and I don't even need you to go back over it. But is there anything that we haven't said that could be helpful for someone either who suffered that kind of early trauma around it and they can't kind of get over to that place when you did your original hier- hierarchy of what happens with women and why they go away from sex if we could give them a little bit of thinking about it or for a person who's using sex in a way that's harmful to other people and themselves, can we, can we think about some tools for people to take home, some listening or, or thinking tools? I think, I think Carrie, actually the way that you brought in that compassion piece is such an important starting place. Mm -hmm. If you are, if you're, if you're struggling with this or feeling badly about how sex is working in your life, pausing to be able to take a moment of compassion and saying like, oh, wow, like that sort of sucks that, you know, I'm struggling in this way is then going to allow you to address it in a way that is much more useful, that isn't a shame-based sort of response. So I would say the first thing to do is to have a sense of compassion that this is tough. Like we don't live in a culture that teaches us how to have healthy sexuality male, female, anywhere on the continuum. So of course you don't know. And that's pretty amazing that you want to make some changes to help you get more of the actual intimacy needs that you might have. Wonderful. Mm. Yeah. 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 I, I think, um, a couple thoughts. One, even though this is something that I may have to take care of or solve, I didn't necessarily cause the problem. That's such a great the way idea of that, that the mm-hmm. idea that you know you may have to solve your problems, but you didn't cause them, and mm-hmm. that behaviors happen in a context. And we've been mm-hmm. talking a lot about cultural context, or perhaps a family of origin context, mm-hmm. or sexual history mm-hmm. context. Um, and then I think where we wound up with the 
the why over the what. Mm -hmm. I think it's easy to get into uh, numbers or or like salacious kind of uh, war stories, like mm -hmm. here's the craziest thing I've done, mm -hmm. you know, and it's like, oh, if my story isn't as crazy, then it's not. I mean, this happens, I think, in AA meetings. Oh, yeah. Where people, their bottom wasn't as bottom as somebody else's right. bottom. And it's like, oh, I'm not bad enough to be here. Right. And and we get caught up in what the thing looks like as opposed to like, what was it doing yeah. for you? And and like Jenna, actually both of you are saying, does this move us toward something important to us? Does it advance something? Is it a vehicle for something that we care about? Or is it pulling us in the other direction? Mm -hmm. Can I can I add yes. to that, though? Um, yes, Wonderful. And when we're talking about, because we talked a lot about like noticing how we feel, like noticing our sensations, and that's fantastic. And when we're making this evaluation of, is this working for us? I would encourage people to not just look in the short run, because like, probably it's feeling pretty good during the middle of sex like well, yeah, for everything, a lot of people. Everything right, we right. do, if we do it over <laughs> right, and over again, right. it works. Yeah. That's why we do it. Right, and exactly. then we have podcasts like this because yeah. it doesn't. And right. both are true. Right. Both are true. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. So I do think it's important to pay attention to our sensations and how things feel and making decisions not based on how it feels in the moment, but rather, is this helping me be the person I uh, want to be in the uh, long run? Right. Yeah, that's Amen. great. Carrie, your kids, you have two, mm -hmm. and I'm wondering, um, you have this memoir that's now how how many years old? Mm, just about 10. Okay, so these kids are gonna, going to come of age and see this memoir. Mm -hmm. How are you prepared to speak with them <laughs> about this particular time in your life and what you went through? Well, I mean, I already have. They're, oh, wow. They're, uh, so my older one is autistic, so it's a whole different thing, um, and my younger one is 13, but I have, so I have, I have teenagers. Yeah. Um, so they already know about it. Um, they uh, don't, I mean, it's funny whenever people ask me that because, you know, my my sons are like, like, yeah, I don't care, mom. You know what I mean? They're just sort <laughs> of like- We're so bored by your story, mom. Like, you know, we're tired. Yeah, we're tired of you in general and, and you thinking that you matter so much, That's you know? Hilarious. So That so, is truly hilarious. So it's more so like I've used what I learned from writing that book um, to try to be- um, a better parent to my boys and try to help my mm. boys um, be able to conceptualize more around sex and love than they get in their sex ed class. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and to think mm -hmm. about all the yeah. things that we've been talking about in here um, and, uh, and, and, and about gender, about the ways, the messages that both mm -hmm. boys and girls get. And, mm -hmm. and um, so it's more so that. And so I'm not, and I'm not, also, I'm not ashamed. You know, I don't feel shame around like, oh, now your kids know you had sex. It's like, well, um, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, and, and also, and also they don't, they're not in, they don't know. I'm not like making them read it. You know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah. they don't want to, they just don't particularly want to be a part of it. So it's mm -hmm. more like, it's like, I like to think of it instead as the person who wrote that book is parenting these kids, and mm. that's more. That was so beautiful. Yeah. That's such a good spot to end on. I want to thank, of course, Jenna and Brian and Carrie Cohen. Thank that you. was really, really fun to get to know Thanks you. Thanks so much, Carrie. Yeah, thank, thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. you guys are